Well, as I promised last week, we're going to begin a whole new thing today, so I hope you're bracing yourselves for the next eight years. Just kidding. It may not take that long. So we're going to take a look at the book of Deuteronomy, which is a big book, um, and it will take a while, but there's a lot of treasures in there for us. Now, when Janelle and I were dating, at that time I worked for my dad, and part of my job was to visit local car dealerships and hand out business cards and desk calendars. My dad was a state farm insurance agent, so we would do that, hoping that when they sold those new cars, we would maybe get to insure them. And so one day, uh, Janelle was with me, and we visited the local Chrysler dealer. And they had just received a delivery of the very first PT Cruiser. I think it was the first one in the state of North Dakota. Remember the PT Cruiser? Okay, so I don't know about where you live, but where I lived, it was a big deal. Okay, that was really one of the first cars that did this kind of retro, bringing back the retro styles. And so when it first came out, it was so different that it was capturing a lot of attention. And so we went in, and the sales manager invited us back to the shop to look at this car. They had literally just taken the wrapping off of it and everything, and it was purple. And the sales manager said, do you want to take it for a drive? And I'm not sure if she thought I would buy it or not, but uh, I wasn't really interested in that car. But to be the first to drive that what may have been the first PT Cruiser in North Dakota, I wasn't going to turn that down. And so we drove around town, and we went over to the office to show my dad and and the staff there at the office. And people started following me around. It was kind of creepy. They would pull into the parking lot behind me. They all wanted to see this car. And maybe you remember seeing something new like that for the first time. I also remember the first person who I ever knew that had an iPhone. What was that, 2007, something like that. When it first was released, a guy I worked with named Axel, uh, and he came in and showed it to us, and we were all huddling around, and he's showing us the new iPhone, and he takes a picture, and he uses his fingers to do this. Oh, my goodness. Like, you guys are so used to it now. But you may not remember, that was a pretty big deal. Multi-touch, they called it, I think, or something like that. And it was so new. It was so amazing. Most of us today, if we went and got one of those original iPhones, if they would even turn on anymore, we would find it too slow. We would find it lacking in features. But when that first was introduced, it was mind-blowing. We love it when something new comes out and is exciting just as people followed me when I drove that PT Cruiser, just as coworkers gathered around Axel as he showed us his new iPhone, we get excited about something new and fresh. Not many people think the PT Cruiser is so great anymore. I'm sure there's some fans out there. But it was produced for less than a decade, and then it was retired. You know, the model is no longer produced, so... I don't know if too many other car companies got the idea and said, hey, we're all going to go retro now, and the novelty kind of died off, right? But in the arena of thinking or philosophy, some people are always looking for new ideas. When Paul spoke at the Areopagus, and we see in Acts 17.21, what it says about the people who lived there. Now, all the Athenians 
And the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Sadly, many Christians today are always looking for something new. It's as though learning God's word and learning how to live it out, it simply isn't exciting enough. People want something new. Paul wrote about this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. They will gather around for their ears to be tickled. You want to get a crowd at church? Tell them what they want to hear. Tell them they're good. They don't need to change a thing. Tell them God loves them just the way they are, so there is no need really to turn from sin. Tell them that God exists to make you healthy or rich. Tell them you have figured out what the mark of the beast is. Tell them God speaks to you with special words that aren't found in the Bible. Tell them you know when Jesus is coming again. Oh, the people will gather then. People want to hear something new. They want to hold on to something new. There's a reason the PT Cruiser faded away. And there's a reason why Apple puts out a new version of every product they have just about every single year. People want the newest, the most innovative. They want a feature no one else has or the color of the phone that indicates you have this year's model and not last year's model. And this sort of thinking is very prevalent in the church where people are always seeking something new. The Bible doesn't seem new to them. The Old Testament, some people think, is a waste of time. We should just focus on the New Testament. And we should be careful even there to make the text, what people use the word relevant, but they use the word relevant wrong. Because we should make the word of God relevant. The secret is it already is. Sadly for many people, being relevant isn't defined the way I would define it. I want scripture to be relevant so that it changes you. But some people say it needs to be relevant so that Scripture changes to suit you. In many churches, then, people would hear that preacher was embarking on a series from Deuteronomy, and they would say, no, that's old, give me something new. Not at Oasis Church, though, I know that. But when we look at this book of Deuteronomy, I I think you're going to find that in looking it over, it speaks of Jesus. It serves as a a marker of sorts. It's the bridge between the early redemptive history found in Genesis through Numbers, and then it, it, it bridges it to the rest of redemptive history that's found in the rest of Scripture. Deuteronomy is quoted or alluded to at least 200 times in the New Testament. Jesus quoted it and applied it. So if Jesus found Deuteronomy useful for teaching... If all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, then there must be something here for us to gain wisdom by. So today we're beginning the series on Deuteronomy. And at the beginning of a series like this, I'll be honest, (laughs) it's sometimes really hard to figure out how to start. You know, do you begin with a dissertation on the origins of the book? 
or spend an entire sermon on two or, uh, or two on the history of the book? Or do we just get right into the text? Well, in this case, it's going to be a little bit of both. So we're going to begin with, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. And as we go through this morning, we will hopefully glean something from it that we can use in our spiritual growth. Let's look at it together. Deuteronomy 1, 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. In the Arabah, opposite Saf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazareth, and Dizahab. It is, it is 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and Edria. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negeb and by the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them and to their offspring after them. So first off, you might wonder, where does the title Deuteronomy come from? Okay, Maybe you don't really care. Some people don't. That's okay. It's fine to admit that, too. It literally means second law, but that is a little bit misleading because it isn't really a second law. It's really an explanation or an exposition of the law that's given all throughout Exodus through Numbers. The name Deuteronomy comes from Deuteronomy 17, 18, where it says about kings who would in the future rule for Israel, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. So the word Deuteronomy comes from that word that is translated copy. The English title for the book of Deuteronomy is taken from the Greek translation of this verse, which spoke of the king having a copy of the law. However, both the Greek, Deuteronomian, and its rendering into English meant second law, hence the English name of Deuteronomy. But it would be more accurate to say based on the original Hebrew text, that it was a renewal or a copy of the covenant made at Mount Sinai with Moses. The Hebrew name for this book, following the ancient Jewish practice of naming a book by its opening line, is Deberim, the words. For the book began with, these are the words. So that was a quote from the Lexham Bible Dictionary. So instruction there in Deuteronomy 17, 18 is for kings that would come for Israel, future kings, they were to write for themselves a copy of this law. I hope their handwriting was good and I hope they had strong wrists because that would take a long time to write, right? From this word, 
the word copy, we get the word deutero, which means copy or second. So it's not, according to the New Bible Commentary, it's not so much a second law as a preaching or reapplication of certain laws given in the preceding books of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. So in the very first verse, we get a sense of the author of this book. Remember, the author is not always the person who physically wrote it down. In this case, it's likely that the words of Moses were recorded by scribes, but he's still considered the author. So verse 1 says, These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. I would have maybe used a map, but our screens up here are just not big enough. You wouldn't have been able to see it very well. But Moses spoke these words at the end of about the 40 years of wandering in the desert. I might put out a blog on this you know, for you soon that would give you a little more there, and maybe we could include a map there. Um, in verses 2 and 3, it says, It's 11 days' journey from Horeb, by the way of, remember Horeb is Mount Sinai. So just in case you get confused on that, Horeb is Mount Sinai. It is 11 days from journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. Now I read these two verses together for a reason. Because there's a very big lesson here. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. Again, Horeb is Mount Sinai where Moses met with God and received the commandments. It's an 11-day journey from there to Kadesh Barnea. 11 days' journey, and it's 40 years later. This is the cost of the people of Israel's discontent. It's the cost of their sin. And of course, before we get all high and mighty about their failures, let us ask ourselves this question, have we taken 40 years to make 11 days of progress? Maybe not literally, because some of you aren't even 40 yet. But unfortunately, many Christians are in the same boat. It might not be 40 years, but can any of us truly say we've advanced in our faith at the pace we ought to have advanced at? I heard it long ago, and I've often said it so that I don't even remember who said it, that I heard it from initially, but some Christians have one year of growth 40 years in a row. While it is often our temptation to read in Scripture about someone who seemed not to learn their lesson, we would be served far better if we were to ask ourselves where we might be doing the same. Or better yet, ask God to reveal to us our shortcomings. And if you're able to be in a safe relationship, keyword safe relationship, if you're able to have a safe relationship with a fellow believer, you may even ask them to show you your blind spots. And if you're married, you don't even have to ask. <laughs> My wife's not in here. <laughs> okay, uh, Deuteronomy 1, 3, and 4. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them after he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and Edrei. 
So here is some more context about when Moses said these things. So there have been some attempts, attempts, particularly in the past 200 years or so, of people questioning the dating of Deuteronomy and even whether Moses had anything to do with it or not. We, these are the, they're, they're the critical scholars, so-called. What they really are often doing is trying to debunk the Bible. Uh, they usually don't succeed, and in the end, they often end up uh, making the Bible more believable than ever. So I read a lot of these theories in my study for this, and a lot of those theories are out there that are trying to disprove the Bible. They just come up short. And I think the more compelling evidence is that this was written shortly after Moses had said these things. And there's a whole lot of reasons to that, but you'd fall asleep if I started telling you. So, um, But there's, there are three major theories that most scholars will adhere to of the structure of this book. The first one is that, and this is true, Deuteronomy consists of three farewell speeches of Moses whereby he, he reminds the people of the past and he explains the law and challenges them to live it out in the future. The second way that this has been viewed is that Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, is an exposition on each of the Ten Commandments in order. And the third way is that people have said it's modeled after ancient Near Eastern treaties. So these are, these are some treaties, they call them the suzerain treaties, that um, a king would give to the people that he's protecting. So it would start with a history of, hey, I've done these favors for you, I've protected you, or whatever, um, and here's your responsibility in the future, and if you meet your responsibility, then I'll take care of you and protect you. If you don't, then you can expect my wrath, and those kind of things. And there's, there's a lot of similarities between Deuteronomy and how a lot of those treaties were written. So people have said that it was modeled after that, too. It's probably a little bit of all of those. Um, and as we go through, I think you'll see some of that. So let's continue on. Verse 5. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law. I love this part. Moses undertook to explain this law. Throughout Scripture, we see that there is value in having someone explain things to us. And I just used these examples recently. Uh, I had to speak at another place a couple weeks ago, but they're fitting here as well. The first one is from Nehemiah. And at, at, towards the end of Nehemiah, or towards the last third or so, there's this scene where the book of the law is read and the entire congregation of Israel that's there at the time in Jerusalem, they gather and listen. And then it says this. It says that Nehemiah 8.8, 8, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So it's important to understand they didn't just read the law and say, all right, Sort it out. They took time to explain it. We see it also in Acts chapter 8. This is the story of Philip with the, the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you remember this guy was, was riding along and he was reading out loud from Isaiah 
And Philip comes up and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless someone guides me? And it says, Acts 8.35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, this scripture, the one from Isaiah, he told him the good news about Jesus. And Jesus himself explained the word of God to folks. I mean, there's many examples, but the one I'm using is the road to Emmaus when these two disciples were walking along and Jesus joined them. And it says in Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. And by the way, Moses includes Deuteronomy. So beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And there are many more examples in scripture, but let us consider this. We are always in need of a teacher. We need a teacher. We can be thankful for God's word, that we can hold it in our own hands, that we can read it, that the Holy Spirit does indeed help us make sense of it, but we need a teacher, one who will, like Moses, undertake to explain the law. Like the priests in Nehemiah, to give a sense of it so that the people will understand. Like Philip, helping those desperately seeking the scriptures to find Christ, to see him in them. Like Jesus, interpreting in all the scripture the things concerning him. We have an obligation to learn and provide opportunities for believers to learn. And so this book of Deuteronomy is about Moses further explaining the law. This book takes a look behind at what has already happened in the history of Israel and it looks forward to what will be fulfilled in Christ. And I believe there's a lot to learn in this book. It will refine some of the ideas found in Exodus and the other books And it will point us towards Christ. Remember, the entire Bible is about Jesus. Over the coming months, as we look at this book together, we must keep that as our main focus. And we need to ask ourselves as we're going through it some questions. What does it tell us about Jesus? What does it tell me about myself? What does it tell me to do? From the Bible Knowledge Commentary, it says, When Moses expounded these words, Israel was east of the Jordan and Moab. The word expound is significant, for it means that Moses did all he could to make God's word clear to the Israelites. The word used only here and in another chapter uh, is also found in Habakkuk 2.2, make it plain. Basically, the verb means to dig, like to dig a well. In the course of these speeches, Moses sought in various ways to instill an obedient spirit in his audience. He used the threat of judgment. Oh my, people say you can't do that today in the pulpit. Moses used the threat of judgment, the promise of reward, and appeals to God's graciousness to seek to accomplish that goal. The word translated law actually means instruction, not merely a body of laws in the modern sense, It is instruction on how to walk with God. Verses 5 and 6, Beyond the Jordan and the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. After Moses had received the law, 
God told them that they had stayed long enough on the mountain. So just to be clear, the quote here from from Moses in verse 6 He's looking back at this point. He's saying, "This is remember when we were up the mountain, I got the Ten Commandments, and we were told to move on? That's what he's saying here. They had witnessed the power of God. They had seen God's miraculous work. But they were not to stay in the shadow of that mountain forever. Because he had something else for them. And next week, we're going to see more of the story. You probably already know it. The land was there for them to possess but they valued their status quo over the promise. And then verses 7 and 8, turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negeb and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the, great, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them and to their offspring after them. There's also one other thing I want to note, that the emphasis on land is very strong throughout Deuteronomy. Over 200 times in the book of Deuteronomy, the word land comes up. Very important concept for them. So... With looking at these first eight verses, we, ha- we want to start asking ourselves some questions. And the first question is, are you willing, are we willing, to go on the journey that the Lord has set us on? Well, I am, as, as long as the thing is comfortable. Is there air conditioning there? Is there good food? I have comfortable shoes. What else? Or is it comfort that we're looking for or faithfulness? Are we willing to go on the journey that the Lord has set us on? Well, what journey is that, you might be asking. Well, he set us on a a spiritual journey. And for each of us, it may not look exactly the same, but the destination is. The final destination. But the Lord has work for each of us to do. He calls us to do his kingdom work. Are we willing? Are you willing individually? Are we willing as Oasis Church to go on the journey that the Lord has set us on? The other question that goes along with that then is, where is God taking you? Where is he taking you? Um, Our men's group this week, we were... We were looking at the question, what's God's purpose for, the, for our life? And we, we we're trying to get into that. But all of God's purposes for our life are found in Scripture. Maybe not the specifics, right? You don't have, in Scripture, it doesn't say you're going to be a chiropractor or you're going to sell insurance or you're going to do whatever else. It doesn't tell us those specifics, but it does tell us um, how we're to live for God. It tells us and challenges us And as we look at Deuteronomy together and we see Moses as he's expounding on the law and we're going to look at it and see how it points to Christ, hopefully we'll know better the answer to this question. Where is God taking you? Where is God taking you as an individual? Where is he taking your family? Where is he taking Oasis Church? Where is he asking you to go? Where is he asking you to go?
And we're, we're, we're all somewhere, right? Every day, all week long, we're somewhere. So in a sense, where is he asking us to go is where we're already at. But maybe for some of us, he's asking us to go somewhere else as well. And what is he asking you to do? How do you keep God's rules? How do you follow his laws? And where is he taking the church? Where is he asking our church to go? And what is he asking us to do? And I'm really excited. I think, uh, I think the timing for Oasis Church to see some fun things happen that the Lord's going to do, I think it's good timing. You know, we're coming out of COVID. You're coming out of some transition with the church and all of this. And there's an exciting time. So as we look at Deuteronomy together, I think, I think we're going to start to see how the Lord is leading us. And, and really, there's just so many exciting opportunities we have. And I want to thank all of you that have been so energized in serving the church in so many different ways. We're going to keep going forward together. Whatever chaos is in the world doesn't need to be in these walls. We can come in and we can be unified. And I, I kind of was waiting whether I would send this. and I'm going to send an email tomorrow, but um, I, th- I think it is a good time to tell you of something that's kind of exciting. Um, as you know, next door at our other building, uh, we have been leasing the building since COVID kind of um, drove Calvary Chapel out of their facility. They were using a public facility. Um, but when COVID hit, they were no longer able to meet. And at that time, we weren't using our building next door, and we entered into a lease agreement with them. And that lease agreement is expiring in June, and this week the governing board unanimously decided that we're going to let the lease expire so that we can have that building back on Sunday mornings. And we have a lot of great ideas. We're going to wait to hear more ideas from you, but uh, we're going to have those classrooms available once again and the multi-purpose room on Sunday mornings. And so I want you to pray about that. Pray for God's guidance for the, board, the various boards and the things that we're going to be looking forward to, to maybe planning and doing. Also, please pray for Calvary Chapel. They, they'll have about four months to find uh, where they're going to meet after that. And we're so thankful we were able to help them during this time. Um, but we kind of are growing a little bit, and we need that building back. And so... Uh, we're looking forward to to seeing what the Lord will do. So would you pray with us for that? Pray for what the Lord will guide Oasis Church into and uh, pray for Calvary as well. We want them to be successful as well and and I think the Lord's got a plan for them also. So uh, with that, we'll kind of conclude this introductory sermon to Deuteronomy. Um, And I'm going to just... Go through the questions again so that you can be thinking about them as you leave. Are we willing to go on the journey the Lord has set us on? Where is God taking you? Where is he asking you to go? What is he asking you to do? And where is he taking Oasis Church? Where is he asking us to go? What is he asking us to do? Let's continue to pray together and ask God to guide us. And I'm excited to see what God will do here among us in the coming months and years. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. 
and your word. As we start this journey through the book of Deuteronomy, Lord, I hope that you will instill in us a sense that, yes, we are on a journey. We're on mission for you, Lord. You have work for us to do. And it's exciting to try to sort that out and figure it out, Lord. And so, Lord, as we plan the next several months as well as the years ahead, as long as you would tarry, Lord, may we serve you well. Lord, I'm excited. I thank you for the energy and the compassion and the joy in this church, the love for you and the love for your people, the love for your word. Oh, Lord, you, you have put together an amazing group of people here. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you have allowed me the privilege to be here. As we go forward together, Lord, may you bless our efforts and may you help us to stay focused on what you would have us do for your kingdom and for your glory. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Well, let's stand and sing. we got a new song that we're going to sing today. And um, I was thinking uh, the Lord led me to, uh, for the theme of our worship, the name of the Lord. And 